welcome. We are podcasting from London. Hi to all Londoners that decided to join me again and to all new listeners around the world. You are listening to the Pursuit of Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Daria Tiesler, health educator, ex-professional athlete, personalized and lifestyle medicine advocate, nutritional therapist, personal trainer, performance coach, and a founder of Daria Tiesler Wellness. Your search for wellness is just about to begin. Each time you set your frequencies on top pursuit of wellness, you are going to discover something new about yourself, your health, your body, your mind, and your soul. Today's podcast is going to explore a common problem of emotional and binge eating in women. However, I believe that men also suffer from this issue and they can benefit from listening to us. Five, four, three, two, one, let's go. I would like to welcome my guest on today's podcast. She's a very special fox, super authentic and exceptionally bold woman. She's very inspiring. You know, guys, is a honey for me. <laughs> She's physiotherapist, a female fat loss and health consultant. Hi, Rachel, and welcome to Pursuit of Wellness podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Oh, my, my pure pleasure, Rachel, and thank you again for joining us. Rachel, let's dive straight in. Everyone is waiting. Uh, who is Rachel? Tell us about yourself. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, <laughs> long story very short, I'll tell you a little bit about my history and I guess how I got to where I've got to today um, and how I, I basically um, fallen into uh, helping ladies overcome binge and emotional eating. Um, and so when I started my career, um, actually in the fitness industry nearly 15 years ago now, um, I had just come out of a very clinical background. So yes, I qualified as a physiotherapist um, and I worked in you know, mainstream hospitals. And, um, you know, I enjoyed the work and everything, but I certainly wasn't uh, living my life's passion, so to speak. Um, I was engaged in a lot of unhelpful behaviors um, around stress, perfectionism, um, really basically struggling to uh, push my life and my business forward because I had these a lot of unhelpful behaviors. Now, at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought that, you know, I was aiming for high standards. Uh, my self-worth was always based upon how much I was working and, you know, my grades in school. So this had, you know, this had been like quite a long-standing problem for me and it had become the norm. So I would class myself as, you know, a former stress addict uh, and certainly a, a former <laughs> workaholic, uh, I guess in the name of perfectionism. And so I, uh, I got to a certain stage in my career, probably about 10 years ago now, 10, 10, eight to 10 years ago, where I was uh, really struggling to stay on top of like, you know, a, a quite a fast growing business. Um, and I realized that the only person that could change that was me. And I was looking at all of the outside strategies and on how to grow my business, how to become happier. Um, and actually what it came down to was me and my behaviors. So in my journey of, I guess, in the pursuit of happiness and wellness, um, I encountered going to see a shaman who banged a drum around my head asking me what my spirit animal guides were. Um, I've been to see a Buddhist monk who was fabulous, by the way, but I was still stressed. And it wasn't really until... I took a long, hard look at my actual behaviors coming from the inside and my issues around self-worth. Um, even though I'd outwardly always been very confident, my issues were stemming from actually low self-worth. And that's exactly what perfectionism is. Um, so I overcame a lot of that. And, and obviously, you know, the business thrived because of it. And I thrived because of it. And I look back at those days now um, and I'm so grateful for my experiences and my struggles because it's allowed me to, I guess, do what I do now and share my story with, with other ladies um, who are perhaps wearing the shoes that I once wore. Um, I then obviously followed my, um, followed my passions in, in fitness and fat loss and more so from a sustainable basis. You know, like one of my passions is certainly 
Chasing Life. And obviously one of my businesses is called now Chase Life. But it's about getting out there and doing life on your terms. And when we look at like what's stopping people from like doing life on their terms, it comes down to things like struggling with binge and emotional eating, struggling with low confidence, low self-worth, being addicted to the story, um, stress and things like that. So that's essentially um, where I've got to now is that, you know, I guess in a nutshell, like I teach ladies how to be happy and along that path comes, you know, overcoming binge and emotional eating. So that's in, in a as quickly as I can wrap it up where I've got to today and I guess a little bit about my backstory. Oh, thank you very much. You know, it's um, it's wonderful because uh, for me in uh, our podcast is always about uh, that's, uh, uh, that story and sometimes um, those moments when we falling down, when we don't want to talk about that, when it's bad, right? But uh, you use the story and you created something bigger, something what is beyond you and that's allowed you, um, as you said, uh, thrive life, uh, you know, be happy and uh, obviously your business is uh, thriving. And I really want that. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted, I did invite you, is to so you um, heal us all. You know, all women. You know, mm-hmm. and you show how this food is connection. And I use this uh, expression uh, that comes from uh, my teacher, Dr. Diana uh, Minik, right? Because food is connection and how we connect mm-hmm. to this food is expressing outside who we uh, become, right? And what we do in our life. And mm-hmm. behavior uh, behavior is a very important part of, uh, you know, what we are and who we are in our life. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, what uh, wellness means to you? You know, this is wellness podcast. What is wellness? This is such a good question. And wellness to me means physical and emotional health. But but here's what I see um, a lot, it, particularly in clients. Um, people prioritize like the, the physical health, but neglect, I guess, the emotional side of health. But actually, if we really think about it, like emotional health absolutely comes first because if you if you don't have command of your emotional health you'll never actually achieve your physical health goals and i think that's essentially what wellness means to me it is basically that that combination um of physical and emotional health but i think we have to start really turning the tables on what is the priority here because i think a lot of people lead with the physical and the emotional side of things gets left behind um so i guess That's <laughs> as quickly yeah. as I can sum it up. That's what wellness means to me. Because once you have your physical health and your emotional health, you can go do anything. Like you can do life on your terms. Like once you've got those two things, like, I mean, let, let's be honest here, health is priceless, right? Um, but that to me is split into physical and emotional and of course you know we have other things in there so, you know your, your spiritual health or you know your spiritual wellness what you believe in what's your guiding force um and of course your your well wellness comes down to me to your belief in yourself right but It's- i think that those two feed into it the physical and the emotional health You know, this this question has meaning, right? I ask this question for yeah. purpose because um, I observe exactly the same, right? We're so much uh, focused on this physicality, right? And we talk wellness, but behind wellness, we often see uh, physical uh, strength, physical fitness, right? And we often forget about uh, what is behind, right? So I'm kind of uh, with you uh, a lot uh with the definition you are uh, telling us, right? You work mm. with women, right? A lot right, with I women. I see on your social media, you have that amazing language, you know, often very strong language, uh, but your direct message is the to uh, women and you call this women uh, like driven, women who has, va- who has her value, who has passion to change, to get something new in her life. What is the most common reason why women come to see you and ask for help? Uh, there, there, hmm. There's quite a variety, actually, but the, there are certainly common themes why people come 
to see me and to, to see us at Chase Life. Um, obviously, the first one being um, to overcome binge and emotional eating. And that can be on many levels. It can be, you know, something that's just really annoying to them or, or it could, you know, be something that's, you know, obviously a very serious problem um, in their life. And usually by the time somebody comes to see us in Chase Life, you know, and they're struggling with binge and emotional eating, it has become a very serious problem that they want to overcome. Um, so that would be the first reason. Um, the second reason um, is basically to uh, improve confidence uh, and self-esteem. And I think a lot of ladies resonate with my story around stress um, and, you know, always on the outside, I guess, wearing a mask, so to speak. But on the inside, you're really struggling. And I, I used to really struggle with the concept and the idea of vulnerability. And I, I'll be honest with you, like, I thought vulnerability was a weakness. And for many, many years, I used to put on a very, quite a hard front, but on the insides, you know, we're just women and sometimes we struggle mm -hmm. and that's okay. And vulnerability is actually the definition of, according to Brene Brown, is, you know, showing up as who you really are, not who you think you should be. And for many, many years, I was showing up as who I thought I should be, not who I really was. And so I think a lot of ladies are inspired um, by that story and to know that, you know, on the other side of crossing, I guess, that bridge of fear um, is this amazing, wonderful world. And, you know, you can show up as who you really are authentically and from flow and with ease. And then life just becomes so much easier. And then I guess the third category of ladies is um, obviously ladies who are really struggling with, um, with fat loss. And, uh, you know, I provide a very sustainable um, and, you know, maintainable approach to fat loss, which, of course, includes red wine. Because let's be honest here, what would life be without wine? <laughs> red wine. Perfect. So, I love it. I love it. It's sustainability, right? Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, we talk about sustainability. We talk about the maintenance, but also you... You mentioned Brenna Brown. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking Brenna Brown, Brenna Brown, powerful story, yeah. right? And I uh, also read yeah. a few of her books and uh, I feel as Brenna also was uh, that uh, mentor, even I don't know her in person, that uh, set yeah. the uh, new, um, new path for me, right? Don't be afraid, mm. be authentic. But... It is not an easy journey. It is not an easy no, story. You have to be brave, right? To say, here yes, I am, you, you know, uh, as you mentioned also, uh, leave uh, this vulnerability, uh, seeing the vulnerability as a strength, uh, not as a uh, weakness. What is then uh, binge eating and uh, um, binge eating and uh, emotional eating? Is there any difference? So binge and emotional eating are essentially labels and, you know, a lot of people will term their relationship with food and they like to, you know, put labels on their relationship with food. So for some ladies, they say, um, you know, I'm a binge eater, others it's I'm an emotional eater or I'm a mindless eater, um, I graze, I have a, um, a night binge eating disorder because, you know, a lot of their, um, you know, their eating comes at night um, and then all sorts of like different labels and different things, but essentially... It doesn't really matter what we call the problem, so to speak. Um, what it really comes down to is a an uncomfortable relationship with food and somebody eating out of uh, a place of having to eat rather than it being a choice. So it's it's you know if you if you are eating through compulsion rather than choice, we have a problem, and that's the definition of binge eating, emotional eating, whether it's nighttime eating, mindless eating, grazing, you know, these thoughts and these feelings just came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden um, I was in the, you know, I was in the pantry and I just had my head in the cereal box. It's all the same thing. You are either eating through compulsion or you are eating through choice. Right. So wh why uh, do we eat through compulsion or why, uh, how could we then eat through the choice? So, <laughs> essentially eating through compulsion this is like you know i guess we could write a book on this okay but when we're eating through compulsion we are eating to often satisfy uh thoughts feelings and behaviors that sometimes we're unaware of so it can be an unconscious or a subconscious activity so now that i've said that you're going to know 
Now, in the future, moving forward, like if you're listening to this and you think that you may struggle with binge eating or emotional eating, just sitting and asking yourself the question and awareness, self-awareness is the very first key. Am I eating through choice? Am I choosing to eat this? Or am I just, is it a compulsion? Do I have to eat this now to make the craving go away? And that's essentially what it comes down to. Right. You, you, you know, you're reminding me uh, what I'm also telling to my uh, clients, right? Uh, when you eat, connect, be mindful, know why yes. you are eating. If you are not aware, you're just, you know, putting food into mouth and you don't know why. But again, why I would say here has to be balanced, right? It's the, as you said, we also drinking red wine. It's not going from mm -hmm. one extreme into then being obsessively why I'm eating, why I'm eating, right? It's just something mm -hmm. in the middle that allowed us to connect, to be ourselves, to enjoy our life, to uh, to enjoy our holiday, right? That's what you mean. Yeah, for sure, exactly. Right. And so, you know, there are certainly times where you choose to be more flexible with your nutrition and your alcohol intake, for example, because let's be honest here, you know, when you're on holiday, I'm sure, you know, you eat and drink more than you would usually. Um or when it's, you know, when it's somebody's birthday. And this, this is also one of the other things, and it's a very important skill to teach our, our clients, is to navigate through the gray areas of life. Because nowadays we have a, a society, especially women, who need rules and numbers and or to be told by somebody what to do in every, any given situation because they've completely lost trust in themselves. And, you know, there are times, of course, throughout the course of a year or whatever it is, where there will be holidays, there will be engagements, there will be weddings where you can allow yourself more flexibility to absolutely enjoy those things, you know. Um, and, and food is one of the seven wonders of the world as far as I'm concerned. Like I love going, I love nothing more than going out um, for dinner with friends and sharing, you know, some fantastic bottles of wine. And I, I think we should, you know, start, you know, like you said earlier, appreciating food again for really what it is. And, and it's about connecting and it's not just connecting, you know, it's it, like food brings people together. It's a very social activity. Um, and we should start bringing the enjoyment back into food a lot more rather than demonizing food. Uh, Rachel, you know, I, I'm just sitting here having little goose uh, palms and uh, w w the words that you're saying, enjoyment, connection, uh, sharing, uh, you know, happiness around the table. And that is what uh, I think uh, I want our audience to think, right? It's not, and, mm -hmm. like, and you said also choice, right? You, you've got a choice. Yes. You don't need to follow something strict when you are on a holiday. Anyway, maybe strict is very uh, kind of a control pattern, right? And uh, I feel like but by your work, you're trying to uh, help women to connect what is my, my behavior, what is my pattern and how I can kind of balance myself nicely without uh, going from one, ex one extreme to another extreme. Right? Something Absolutely. like that. That's what I understood. Why women yeah. struggle with emotional and binge eating? Why? Why is that? Oh, it could be a whole, a whole heap of reasons why women struggle with binge and emotional eating. We have only 45 um, minutes. <laughs> I know, I know. God, we could talk for hours on this. I guess, you know, if we're going to talk about like the root causes of binge eating, essentially, you know, when women struggle with food, whether it, you know, let's just call it emotional eating for the sake of, you know, this podcast. But, you know, when we're talking about emotional eating, like I said earlier, we're talking about binge eating, mindless eating, grazing, whatever it is, like, you know, whatever label you put on it, it's all the same thing. And so essentially people eat to change how they feel. And usually this involves like avoiding some kind of pain. So for example, it could be something as innocuous as boredom, or it could be something, you know, something more intense like stress, for example, and or, or stress or despair or hopelessness. But remember, stress is often not what people think it is. Like I, I want to refer to my story earlier. Yes, I was stressed, but It wasn't because of the external stuff going on in my world. And a lot of people blame stress on everything externally. So they blame other people, their jobs, their lives, or whatever it is. When actually stress 
is internal. It's, you know, the, the primary causes of stress are things like low self-worth, perfectionism, overanalyzing, people pleasing, chronic worry. Um, that's that's what stress is. And for me, it was perfectionism, right? Um, but when we look at, you know, the root causes of emotional eating, it's these things. So it's avoiding a pain, but it can also be achieving a pleasure, such as, um, you know, reassurance or comfort. But for the most part, it's a numbing behavior. And, and that's what we have to become aware of is like, you know, what is it that we're trying to avoid here? Or what is it that we're trying to escape from? So for me, when I was dealing with my stress, um, I never struggled around, you know, uh, binge and emotional eating, but I most certainly used other coping strategies, um, such as over-exercise. I was an absolute control freak in every other area of my life. And so, you know, people have like, different things um, and you know for some people it's drugs some people it's sex gambling alcohol whatever it is you know for most women it tends to be food because it's easily accessible and to a certain extent it's also socially acceptable to eat um, and then obviously it becomes a problem when we're you know eating through compulsion and also hiding it as well Mm. I, I, I like, uh, you know, the way you are actually talking about stress, right? Because stress is mm. not meaning uh, the way I talk to my clients that you're sitting on the chair and you're shaking and you're like, you know, biting your teeth and hands and you're getting, you know, that is maybe some extreme form of stress that you already have this outside yeah. physical symptoms, right? But also stress is everything that uh, you are talking uh, about is this uh, unknown on yourself and everything. Everything that you uh, got on the way uh, about uh, from self-limiting beliefs, pains and mm -hmm. uh, pleasure that, uh, you know, I believe when you uh, get the self, build the self-awareness, you actually will be getting free of it. And then you will have the choices. Uh, right. And then you become obviously more empowered. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. Um, I have that question in regards uh, calories. Um, There's yeah. lots uh, happening, you know, calories in, calories out, counting calories, my fitness pal, right? And there is a uh, something that we believe, right? That that is the mathematics and uh, uh, one plus one is two. But, you know, in my uh, clinical practice, I, I've seen lots of women who did this and actually they become in a kind of slave of this form of uh, control, right? Do you feel that there is any connection between long-term calorie counting and emotional eating? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, and I'm going to like, yes, I do. And I have to frame this correctly because look, like, let's, let's be honest here. Like we can't escape the science, right? And it's, yes. you know, you don't just like magically lose body fat by eating, you know, whatever you want, right? So we, we can't escape energy balance. And of course the science applies. And look, you know, counting calories is a great educational tool. The problem is, is that people are using this educational tool, which should be used for a short term period only. And they're using it to control and regulate their behavior. And they're also using it for reassurance that they're being good rather than being bad. And this is why the problems are occurring. So, you know, there are certain circumstances where, um, you know, I may use calorie counting. An example might be, um, you know, look, it would have to be like, to be honest, I wouldn't even use it with a complete beginner. It might be somebody who I'm looking to educate them on uh, nutrition and I want them to, you know, start, you know, learning about, you know, what's in food. Generally speaking, um, that's that's not my sort of client like those you know the clients who come to me generally have already a very good education around foods um you know so that may be one circumstance that i would use it another circumstance might be um you know i used to uh prep um bikini and figure competitors um and maybe then in of course their final weeks of prep of course they'd be tracking their calories um etc etc um, and also the the only other time that i would use it might be um if somebody is making weight so for example i used to train a lot of mma fighters um and we used to have to get them to a particular weight um for their fight class now that that might be like three 
you know, and these are gray areas, right? But they, that might be three examples of when somebody might track calories for a very short period of time. It is not to regulate control and behavior. And the problem that we see is exactly what you see, Daria, in clinic is that, you know, for us, people who track calories basically go one of three ways. Like they either do it for a short period of time, they realize that it's a monumental pain in the ass and they quit. <laughs> <laughs> And the, 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 you know, the second group of people might be that they um, have a set amount of calories that they have and they eat exactly the same every day. And that's completely unsustainable because, of course, you've got the same flavors and the same textures, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you know, I know I've had ladies say, well, I don't eat exactly the same every day. I sometimes, you know, I have this fish or I have that fish or I'll have like turkey instead of chicken. I'm like, listen, honey, you're eating the same bloody food every day. Um you know, that's my second group of ladies. It's completely unsustainable. And then we have this third group who, when they track um, calories and macros for, you know, control and to basically regulate their behavior, they become super perfectionist about it and obsessive about like, you know, counting grains of rice into Tupperware containers. And this is where the problem lies. And, and, and this is where, you know, the effect of counting calories, um, and, and, and the effect that that has on the emotional side of humans, because, you know, I think, you know, when we look at all these scientific studies, like, you know, science is great and it's awesome when we can absolutely use it to our advantage, but we're completely neglecting the emotional and the human side to us. And so, you know, when we're looking at like counting calories and the effects counting calories has on emotional eating well first of all it breeds perfectionism um and you know this this comes from having an excessively res, like restricted feeling and then feeling trapped right and so this breeds this all or nothing mentality of right well i'm either being more and more and more perfect um or well fuck it i'm off the wagon i've basically just fallen off the wagon i may as well eat whatever i want and then this is a vicious cycle because when somebody's doing a lot of perfectionism around food and, and counting calories, um, this becomes a real problem because you become more, you know, the, the thinking behind somebody like that is, well, I need to now track everything with an even more degree of accuracy, which of course then in turn leaves them feeling more trapped and excessively restricted. And then no wonder they have then so many fuck it moments. And then these like on and off the wagon, just constant, it's basically constant on and off and on and off. So that's one of the effects. Um, you know, moving on, I, I can t two more that really springs to mind. The first is, you know, become divorced from your own body, so to speak, because mm -hmm. When you obsessively track your calories and macros and that's all you go by and all you go by is the numbers, you completely ignore your body signals around hunger, energy, and cravings. And even if you were to be aware of them, you actually then don't know how to read the signals that your body is telling you to do because your diet and numbers have said otherwise. Now, we're not robots. And I think this is something that we have to remember. It's like, you know, the metabolism loves fluctuations in, you know, caloric intake. It loves fluctuations in energy output. And I think, you know, when you restrict yourself to, let's just pick an, a, you know, an arbitrary number of like 15, 1600 calories a day. Well, what happens if you did a really heavy leg workout that morning and actually by the afternoon, you are physically hungry, but no, 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 no. You can't eat anything else because then you'll go over your macros. Um, so, so this is the problem where we're missing, you know, you, you being able to read your body's signals. And this is something that is critical, critical in achieving a long-term and a sustainable body transformation and being in shape year round. Um, and I guess, you know, the third thing is that you become completely divorced from your own decision-making abilities. And this is something that, you know, I alluded to earlier where we now have a complete generation and especially with women who they need rules and numbers or someone to tell them what to do in every given situation in life because they can't think for themselves anymore. And that's a really sad situation because, you know, I wrote a, a, a blog post uh, a couple of months ago on, you know, is, the, you know, the fitness industry is basically making women weaker and not stronger. And, 
I think, you know, with all best intentions, quite a lot of trainers are shaming women into, oh, well, if you can't track your calories and your macros, then you don't want it enough. Well, I'm sorry, bullshit. Like you try getting a mother who is also running a business or, you know, she's got a high level job in the city. You try and get her tracking her calories and macros when she's in and out of meetings all day. Forget it. It's not going to work. And that's got nothing to do with the commitment on the client side. It's got everything to do with a strategy on the trainer's side that they have no idea what's really involved in real life. You you know, I'm listening and... uh... That is the reason I've chosen you, you know, because I don't think uh, anyone could better spell out uh, in that bold and authentic way uh, what you just said, Rachel. You know, uh, I think I'm I'm not brave enough. I need to work on my bravery, you know. Uh, but if you have the trolls coming, you know, I'm I'm behind you, right? Uh, and and you're amazing about that. And I completely agree with you. You know, sometimes I just want to cry, you know. That yeah. is my. I'm, this is how empathic uh, and uh, um, sad I am. And I've been uh, working uh, also 15 years in industry here in UK. And I uh, and I've observed the curve of change, but not meaning yeah. the change is better. Yes, I I I, I completely I'm completely with you, right? Uh, women, as we are talking about, and I'm sure uh, men as well, are unable to think for themselves, uh, choose. Mm what is uh, good for me, what is not. But I'm not saying the good or the bad in that uh, that uh, this negative feeling, what is good or the bad, right? I'm saying uh, more I would use maybe words, uh, and I'm using with my clients, what nourishes me on what takes yes. my nourishment away, right? What gives yes. me energy, what uh, gives me uh, thriving, why I'm thriving in life. If I don't, that is not supporting me, why I'm keep doing it? But it seems like mm-hmm. there is a all or nothing and outside of uh, counting calories, there is nothing else. Yes. Right. We uh, yeah. one thing you mentioned, and I and again I I love it because I'm very uh, focusing on this holistic way of seeing food. You're talking about flavors, taste, taste, mm-hmm. uh, uh, smell. You know, and uh, one of exercise I always do is that mindful eating. Right. We're not just eating by macros, by how many calories is there. We're also eating by that connection. Right. That's why we're talking about choices about. Uh, Um, rooting, nourishing our traditions. And, um, you know, there is anything else you think uh, our uh, female audience should think about when they're thinking, okay, which way to go? I'm going for a a fat loss program and, uh, you know, oh, I have my fitness pal and I, uh, you know, this boring sometimes activity, which I agree with you is also educational at the start of the journey. There's anything else you think we we should know about, think about? Yeah, I think, you know, women should start thinking about weight loss differently into to incorporating flavors and textures and things like that into their food. And this is something that I actually learned like quite a few years ago. You know, like we, we've all been there, right? You know, going down the bland dieting path of, you know, chicken breast and broccoli and all of that kind of stuff. Like we've all done it as fitness professionals over the years. And I think, you know, one of the big things if you really look at what comes out of that is this total devoid in this total void of like flavors and exactly what you talked about. There's, there's no flavor and there's no texture. And I do think we have to get somewhat creative um, with, you know, with our food and with our cooking. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, have, you know, when we talk about, because let's be honest here, like if you've got a lot of body fat to lose, I'm sorry, but you can't have, you can't go and eat whatever you want. And there, there are going to have to be some form of, for lack of a better word, restrictions placed on your diet, right? But we should also be including your favorite foods um, within your within your weekly, uh, you know, eating, you know, regime, so to speak. But I think the biggest thing on how women should be viewing weight loss differently is just this idea of minimal effective dose. Because I think when women get to the stage where they're like, right, I need to lose body fat, like, well, it's like all shots are fired at once. You know, they're doing excessive cardio. They're doing like crazy, like low calories. They're doing like excessive, like calorie burning stuff. Um, You know, they may or may not be um, going to, to weight training as well. So all of these shots are fired at once. And then 
where do you have left to go after that when actually what it really takes and here's a secret right weight loss and well fat loss is pretty straightforward and it's really actually quite easy you know when you remove the emotion and we deal with the emotional side of things weight loss is easy and sometimes it just takes these small tweaks of just the minimal effective dose like you know for a lot of my clients I get them walking 12 to 15,000 steps a day and and that starts to make massive shifts in their fat loss, which is fantastic. And then I might reduce that down and then we might sort of increase their calorie calorie intake. But, you know, we might increase their food intake for a little bit and then we might try something else. So it's just these like very small tweaks along the way. You don't have to do these like crazy dramatic diets with excessive cardio. And I think that's what we need to step away from. And I think that that's happening now is like a global movement away from crazy. Um, so yeah, minimal effective dose. That's like probably one of my favorite mm. terms. I, um, I'm, I'm just thinking if you could sell us a little bit here, <laughs> right? Rachel, <laughs> what are the three tips to overcome emotional eating? Well, if I would give you tips to overcome emotional eating, um, that actually often makes the situation worse because it's never a complete solution. And I am definitely of the ilk of giving out a complete solution. Now, if it was that easy, then of course, we wouldn't have problems with the binge and emotional eating. If I were to just say, you know, oh, well, why don't you think more positively? And, you know, um, you need some more self-awareness. Well, look, like these things are great, right? And they're true. We need to start thinking about more about what we want in life rather than what we don't want. And you do need more self-awareness. However, that's not a complete solution. Like, you know, binge eating, emotional eating, whatever you want to call it. It's a very in-depth, um, and, you know, just to give you an example, like when we work with somebody um, who's struggling with emotional issues around food, you know, we, we spend two months with them and it's a very intensive two months. We speak with them or we communicate with them on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. So when it comes to giving tips and tricks, I, you know, I would, I am doing a complete disservice because if I were to give like these like little snippets and tips and tricks, then and they don't work, then it pushes somebody further into the belief of, well, now I'm screwed. I just can't, I can't do this. I implemented Rachel's tips and tricks and they didn't work. Well, of course they're not going to work because I haven't given you the complete solution. But what I can say is what you need to learn. So I can give you three things that you need to learn in order to be able to overcome binge and emotional eating. And so the first one is what we call baseline nutrition. And so for us, that basically means how to eat and do life and build your phys- ideal physique at the same time. Now, of course, there's a lot more to that, but that's in a nutshell what it is. We call it baseline nutrition. What is your baseline? Not what happens when you go on holiday. What is your absolute baseline? That's something that you always come back to. The second thing would be... Um, you need to learn how to break the habit itself. So look, any behavior that gets repeated over and over again basically gets stored as a habit. And the third thing is basically um, addressing all of the underlying emotions that create and sustain binge eating or emotional eating in the first place. And this is where you know we work with our clients on a very personal and personalized level to really get them to understand and change these behaviors at a core level. And when I say, you know, what are the underlying emotions? Um, you know, we're dealing with things here like people pleasing, overanalyzing, perfectionism, um, chronic worry, anxiety, uh, the stories that you play in your head um, on and your, the movies that you play in your head on a day-to-day basis, fear, um, all of these things create these emotions. So we have to address the thoughts before we address the behavior. So it's the thoughts that lead to obviously the behavior. And then of course the behavioral change, but of course, self-awareness is a huge part of that, but self-awareness and positive thinking (laughs) doesn't, you know, help you overcome binge and emotional eating. It's not the complete solution. And I think this is where a lot of our clients really struggle because, you know, they'll read a book on, you know, binge or emotional eating, you know, my husband, David has written 
um, written his book, Think Straight, Lose Weight, on uh, binge and emotional eating. Um, look, you know, if somebody was really motivated enough to read that book from cover to cover and implement and do every single exercise in that book, um, you know, they, they stand a good chance of overcoming binge and emotional eating. But as with anything, when we're overcoming a significant problem in our lives, we're often uh, faced with roadblocks and blind spots and things that we are not even aware that we're doing. And this is where, you know, regardless of where you are in life, there are always people who are ahead of you. And I'm, I'm a massive fan of like, of finding a coach or finding some a mentor or finding somebody to help you in whatever area that might be, whether it's body, business or lifestyle, right? And, and, and personal growth, you know, getting a coach, getting somebody to fi- facilitate your personal growth and your progress along the way goes a long way. So <laughs> in a nutshell, my three tips on how to overcome binge eating. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I am just thinking, um, we constantly talking here about personalization, finding the root cause of why you got there in the first place, right? And I think mm. that's, when I'm thinking uh, of it, it's as listening you would be my tips as well right personalization exactly what you're saying finding the root cause finding someone who helps you who is going to be empathic compassionate who is going to listen who is going to kind of dive in with you into those dark areas of your life uh, life that you really don't want to visit and you are thinking that oh if i count calories if i follow restrictive cardio if i follow restrictive uh, restrictive uh, diet you know i remove uh, this and this from my diet that is the end and I'm going to end up with that body, that life. And I think that are also missing links. Uh, you know, as I said, Rachel, uh, we are on the same page. Uh, we had yeah. that uh, short conversation before uh, and, um, you know, there is nothing for me to add. It's, it's just amazing and I'm glad that we can share this. Rachel, what is Trace Life program? You're talking a Trace Life, Trace Life, you know, what is the program about? So Chase Life, like I said in the beginning of this this recording, uh, Chase Life has come from deep within my passionate soul (laughs) that is getting women to get out and do life on their terms because I believe that, you know, travel for me you know things that make me excited and like for me chasing life means travel living life on my terms uh doing the work that i love sharing the messages uh, and the message that i have to share connecting with people on you know a deeper level than just surface hey how you doing level um i love connecting with like-minded people and and this to me is all about what chase life is but in order to be able to chase life you have to show up as who you really are, not who you think you should be. Because if you show up as who you think you should be, and then you receive the, uh, you know, the love and adoration that you have been chasing, well, you know deep down then that that's fake anyway. So who are you really? And so this is really what Chase Life as concept is all about. It's about leading life on your term, and, and obviously, you know, happiness is the, the overall core of it. And so uh, we offer quite a few services at Chase Life. Um, Obviously, overcoming binge and emotional eating um, is the core of it. But we also work with ladies who are struggling with low confidence, low self-esteem, or or most importantly, the fear of not being good enough. And so we've had many, many ladies who are just super high flies in their career or they've got great businesses. They really struggle with imposter syndromes. So, you know, that feeling of, well, am I really good enough? Like, what value do I actually have to bring to the table? So we work with a range of ladies, but they all have a particular trait. And I, I call these ladies high-value women. So women who value themselves and others, they're prepared to hold themselves to a higher standard. And they're, pref- they're prepared to uh, basically do the work because that's what it takes. And to be resilient in doing so, and to be resilient, to be resourceful, to chase the next level. And so with, like I said, when we're working with somebody who is struggling with binge and emotional eating, um, we work with them on a highly personalized basis. Um, you know, we, we do... Um, put them through a fairly uh, rigorous um, 
interview in the beginning to make sure that they're actually a really right fit to work with us because of course you know what we do is certainly not for everybody and we work on a very direct basis and we expect somebody to play full out because we play beyond the rules and we expect our clients to do exactly the same and as a result our our results with our clients absolutely speak for themselves you know we have ladies overcoming 20 25 years of you know some fairly serious um emotional behaviors around food or you know emotional traumas or hang-ups and it's all gone within a matter of weeks because they've shown up and they've played full out and they've done the work so that in a nutshell is chase life i uh i think everyone should join chase life today <laughs> Uh, uh, Rachel, um, you um, you talk uh, you talked a few times uh, about self awareness, right, and about stress. Have you got just? Uh, I'm picking now quickly your brain. Yeah. Have you got any not tips? How am I ask like that? How you uh, overcome your stress, right, or how you mm. becoming self aware, right? Because our brain is a funny thing, right? We live in that uh, subconscious sure. subconsciousness for um, a lot of percent of our uh, life, right? And then that consciousness is just uh, like uh, Bruce Lipton say, five percent, I think, of in biology of belief. How can we win a game, if I could say <laughs> that way, with our uh, mind? Oh. So for me, it is about taking full ownership of where you are right now or where you are not. And so when we're looking at, you know, whether it's managing stress or overcoming any, you know, uncomfortable emotion, it is about, you can't blame the outside world. Like we have to look inside and we have to look at what is, what am I doing here? What are my behaviors or what are my thoughts that are leading me to feel a particular way? And so for me, uh, it was about taking full ownership of, of where I was in my life and you know how I was doing this stress to myself. And quite honestly, it was also some very frank conversations that I had with mentors. Um, and honestly, uncomfortable conversations as well, like you no know, conversations where um, I was being pulled up Um, on my behaviors and I couldn't deny it. And so that also took a lot of growth in my vulnerability to, you know, when you get feedback from somebody and it's not positive feedback, you've got to learn to take it on a chip. And so, you know, using that, uh, take taking full ownership. And I'm, I'm not just like, you know, stay, I'm not talking about blaming yourself here. Like there's a difference between taking ownership and taking action rather than you know being a victim and complaining and being addicted to the story of why it can't be done like we're not talking about that and we're not talking about blaming yourself that's not ownership ownership is you know taking charge of your life taking charge of your results being resilient and doing what it takes and so Uh, it, you know, as with everything in life, right? you know, you try and start a business, you try and like, you do anything. Let me tell you, it's always harder than you think it's going to be. It's always going to cost more money than you think it's going <laughs> to cost. Um, it's always going to take more work than you think it's going to take. And it's always going to take more time than you think it's going to take. But those people that are successful or whatever they choose to do in life, stay the course. They are resourceful, they use their initiative, and they take full ownership. And I think that this is, you know, that's the journey that I went. I was like, well, nobody else is going to make me feel better aside from me. Because I had tried that. Like, I tried going to meditation and, you know, getting a, like said, getting a monk to teach me how to meditate. And look, all of these, again, they're fantastic tools, but they're not going to fix the core of the issue. The core of the issue comes down to you. And one other thing as well is that creating a new identity for yourself. So who is it that you need to become right now in order to do the thing that you want to do? So how does she act? What does she say? What does she think to herself? What does she eat? How does she choose to engage with others? Um, you know, you know, what sort of conversations is she involved in? What does she think about? So going into depth on this new identity and always then checking in with yourself as to, 
okay, well, what would Rachel do in this situation? What would Dari do? Like, what is the highest version of yourself, the highest value woman that you can be? What would she do in this situation right now? And I think that's also something that's um, a really helpful exercise for a lot of clients is to see themselves, you know, an hour in the future or two, you know, a year in the future, two years in the future. What would that version of yourself be if they were in your situation right now? I love, you know, you're sharing... Uh those tips and uh, visualization, I would say, even at the end, right? Visu- visualize yourself, who you are, who yeah. you want to be, right? And uh, then yeah. try to make this happen in your present moment, right? Rachel, how can we find you? Where, where are you <laughs> in the social media world, <laughs> websites? Where are you? Where, all around, right? I'm all over so if you want to find me on Instagram that tends to be where I usually hang out I love doing like um, Instagram stories having informal conversations um, with my clients and my ladies um, I often do Q&A's the informal Q&A's so if you want to ask me a direct question you can find me there that's at Athletic Fox and if you wanted to find me on um, the web then you can either just google my name rachel godfrey formerly known as rachel guy um and we also have our website chase life consulting.com right guys chase life consulting.com am i correct yes that's yes. correct Rachel, thank you for joining me today. I wish you good luck with uh, Chase Life program and thank you for sharing your uh, amazing wisdom with us, uh, insights, and I do believe we all going to benefit from uh, what you just, uh, your experience, right? And what you did share with us. Thanks for listening, Daria Tiesler, Pursuit of Wellness. If you like our show and want to know more, check out my website, www.dariatiesler.com, or please leave us a review on Spotify and iTunes. Join us next time when we talk about how some kids are fussy eaters and how can you as a parent help them to build a healthier relationship with food. This podcast intends to optimize your health and well-being and does not substitute medical advice. This podcast does not intend to sell and I do not get any profits from sales. Thanks for listening and I hope to see you again.